Welcome to Buddies, Books, and Blockbusters, the podcast where a buddy and I compare a famous book to its blockbuster. As you can probably tell from the title, we will be veering away from the Harry Potter world, but thank you so much for following along. Before we leave Harry Potter and delve into the world of Ready Player One, I did want to finish with our last trivia question from the ninth episode, the seventh book, which was, what is the core of the Elder Wand? All I know is it's like the hair of something. Do you have any guesses of what it could be? Um, fox hair. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Fox hair. (laughs) Great. We took one of Lupin's uh, (laughs) hairs off and made it into a wall. It is Thestral Tail Hair. I got the hair part. You you Uh, did. You did. I know. I've been picking really difficult ones. Partial points? You do. You get partial points. Yes. You know. Yes. Everything's made up and the points don't matter, so. No, points matter. Just kidding. Points matter. Points matter. Points matter. Good job. A new listener to the podcast stephanie was our winner so big shout out uh thank you so much for everyone who participated in trivia the year is 2024 and the earth societies are all impoverished and in war the oasis created by gregarious games founder james halliday is the only way to escape reality at james halliday's death he left a contest to transfer all his money and the oasis to whoever finds the easter egg in his game first. He explains that there are three keys to three gates that one must pass. The challenges will be based on Halliday's favorite hobbies and fandoms. It's been five years and no one has been successful in finding the first key, the copper key. Wade Watts, or Parsival as his avatar is called, is a high schooler who dedicates his life to being a gunter, an egg hunter. He consumes his time with Anorak's Almanac, a journal Halliday left behind. He finds the copper key and runs into Artemis, a blogger he follows and sort of crushes on. He skyrockets to fame after finding the copper key and seeks out the copper gate. Artemis follows in finding the copper key, second. His best friend H follows third, with two other gunters, Daito and Shoto, in fourth and fifth place, respectively. They're known as the High Five. Wade is soon contacted by Nolan Sorrento, the leader of the cheating corporation IOI, also termed the Sixers, who threatens and bombs Wade's home. Luckily, he's in his hideout. He leaves Oklahoma and creates a new identity in Ohio. He spends more time with Artemis in these next few months and ultimately falls in love with her. So she breaks up with him since the contest is her main focus. Artemis uses her new focus to find the Jade Key, the second key. But Sorrento and his team find the Jade Key, clear the second gate, and find the Crystal Key. Shoto then contacts Wade and informs him that the Sixers found and killed Daito and framed it as a suicide. 
This drives Wade, and he finds the crystal key and the third gate, only to discover the impenetrable barrier surrounding the third gate, placed by Sorrento and the Sixers. Wade allows himself to be captured by the Sixers under a false identity, and he hacks the system to steal evidence, escape IOI, indentured servitude, and destroy the barrier. Ogden Morrow, Halliday's partner, has been spying on the High Five and invites them to his place to ultimately defeat the Sixers and Sorrento with his equipment. The Sixers try every tactic and every cheat that they can, but Wade's love for playing the game ultimately wins him the Easter egg. He splits the winnings and finally meets Artemis. He no longer feels a need to log into the Oasis. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Buddies, Books, and Blockbusters. So this episode's going to be a little different because we're not covering Harry Potter anymore. What? What do you mean? So we're actually going to be covering Ready Player One with my friend and roommate, Frank. Hi, Frank. Hi there. Oh my gosh, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Yay! You're like one of the biggest supporters of the podcast, so thank yeah. you so much. You're the best. He like got me a podcasting book and a cute little shirt that says, ask me about my podcast that I'll wear all the time. It's fun. So yay! Awesome. Uh, we are covering Ready Player One, so we have a couple different questions than we do for Harry Potter. So uh, let's get to know our buddy. So, Frank, yes. how did you get into reading? I was never really a reader when I was younger. Really? Yeah, I only got into reading when I was uh, older, I don't know, into college, even maybe even past college. Okay. Um, And I still don't read too much, but I do like nerdy stuff, so I'll read nerd stuff. <laughs> I love it. I mean, this is perfect. Ready Player One was honestly such a fun book to read because i'm i'm a nerd as well so i loved it cool um so we're gonna dive into the world of ready player one and the oasis a little bit if you had an avatar what would your name be this is kind of like uh screen names from when we used to use aim right oh, oh my so, god <laughs> uh my what was your first screen name mine was like so mine was my name backwards so it was k-n-a-r-f so I called I, I called myself Knarf. That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. I like that one. Knarf. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, mine. My first one was Dancing Cali, two thousand and five. Oh. Uh, because it was two thousand and five. Good year. My cat was named Cali, and I was a dancer. Why not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think of avatar names like I might do my uh gamer tags for okay. video games. So right now my gamer tag is Red Cloud because. I really like Final Fantasy VII, and oh, okay. two of my favorite characters are Red Thirteen and Cloud, so I just put them together, and that's my character name. I love that. But Red Cloud sounds like such like this, like, look at the sky, the clouds are red, you know? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I feel like that's like a sailor warning, yeah. too. I love it. Like, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm this awesome gamer who you should be afraid of. I love it. Uh, I guess mine would probably be, my normal tag for things is, uh, it used to be like, Poet of the Foot, which was me trying to be dramatic about being a dancer. Um, <laughs> like what? <laughs> I write poetry with my feet. <laughs> exactly. Like, but everyone would read it as Poto of the Foot, and I, and I was like, "All right, we're we're just gonna move on." So now it's uh, now it's mostly uh, Jess the Bal Arena, but like it's B A L, and then my last name A R E N A. 
weird. Anyways. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it's Thank creative. You. Thank you. It's creative, yeah. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so, in the Oasis, you can kind of do whatever you want. Uh, there's all sorts of different worlds and everything. So, how would you spend a typical day in the Oasis? Well, now that I don't have to do school anymore, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that I would uh, spend my free time trying to visit video game planets that I really enjoyed. Hmm. Um, like, I, I played Destiny for a little bit. I probably would go to those planets there. Um, but of course, I'd always visit the Star Wars planets, whatatever ones I could go to, or I love that go all over arcades. Absolutely, go to different arcades or uh, go to cocktail parties. Yeah, yeah, like Ogs' big birthday. We'll talk about exactly. it. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, I love that. Um, yeah, little brag on Frank, really quick. Frank just got his master's. Oh my gosh, it's done. Yeah, we're really proud of you. So, <laughs> um, anyways, what about Ready Player One is so special to you? It was the first book that I really read that I was like, yeah, I could see this happening in the future, and I could see myself really enjoying this world. Yeah, like really enjoying it, being able to go wherever you want to for free. That's the whole thing about the Oasis. Yeah. It's free. Yeah, for those that have never read or watched Ready Player One, the Oasis is basically a big, not gaming system, but just a way for people to log on to the internet and kind of live a virtual reality, whether that be somewhere they really want to be or elsewhere. So, so which character, if any, do you identify with? I like Wade Watts, mm -hmm. the main character, just because in high school, he says that he doesn't feel like he fits in in the real world. Um, now, I did fit in in high school, but I could see where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. um, and then when he created his persona, he created Parzival, he really, you know, he became who he wanted to be and really like the hero of the story. And it's so strange because I don't normally say the main character is who I identify with. Um, but this one, it's definitely Parzival. I could, I could totally see that. When I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, I see why Frank loves this story so much because I, I see so much of you in Wade. He's so, if you've only seen the movie, in the book, Wade is just so analytical and so pays so much attention to detail, which is exactly how I would describe you, Frank. So oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, I love it. So I totally see that. So our pod fan question is from John. He said, what reference in the book or film stood out or meant the most to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like for me, it was the mention of Quidditch. Oh, I'm a big like Harry yeah. Potter person, but I, I don't know anything. I that... liked when, so this happens in the book, but not in the movie. Um, all of IOI's uh, characters, they get all the big robots to create Voltron. And I thought that was a really cool thing. Um, but you just have to read the book to know that one. Right. <laughs> but it's really, it's really cool. <laughs> Which honestly, read the book, guys. Yeah. It is so good. <laughs> so we've gotten to know our buddy a little bit. So now we're going to do some fun facts about the book. So the book was released on August 16th of 2011, so it's pretty recent. I I kind of love that because I feel like... It's 10 years old. Well, okay. Can you, you believe it? I know. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years feels like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember 2011. I was graduating high school, and that still feels like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Ernest Klein, the writer of the book, actually had to hide a lot of his video gaming when he was younger. So um, playing... Uh, video game playing because his family was religiously against it. 
their family's church had circulated information about how Dungeons and Dragons was very negative and bad for growing up and whatnot, and his mother believed he was participating in witchcraft to an extent. Okay, I could see that, though. Right? I went to a Catholic uh, elementary school when Harry Potter was banned. Yeah. So, yeah, so I could see that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Klein was very influenced by the Star Wars trilogy and the relation to Joseph Campbell's hero arc and the hero with a thousand faces. The story follows the hero's journey format, and he wanted to tell a story for the modern times, which I think he accomplished really well, honestly. Like, while reading this, even in 2021, I honestly was like, oh, yeah, this feels super recent. He was bringing up things from 2010. While writing Ready Player One, Klein had to work tech jobs. So I thought that was kind of cool because it kind of went back to what... Uh, at least in the book, Parsifal Wade Watts does when he's stuck in IOI's indentured servitude. But it took 10 years to sell to a publishing company, which is incredible. It's crazy that he wrote it in 2001. Right, and but then was able to add all these He had to keep things. adding stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. Super cool. I remember like telling yeah. him, I was like, oh my god, did you, did you, you probably knew this. Uh, <laughs> Klein hosted a giveaway similar to the one in the book with a with a DeLorean that he bought and fixed up to look like the one in the book based off of Back to the Future. He encrypted a website address in the text of the novel that took players to various games with additional clues. In August 2012, Craig Queen won that DeLorean. Super cool. Klein feels like the internet is the only thing that the youth actually have going for them right now. He said, The youth of today inherited a nightmare economy, a screwed up environment, and a bloated consumer culture poised on the brink of collapse. The internet, on the other hand, gives kids access to the collective knowledge, music, and art of our entire civilization. Which I thought was really cool. It is really cool, especially because in the Oasis, uh, Wade Watts talks about how everything's for free you can get every single piece of art and every single video everything that out is out there it's it's all free online as long as it's past like certain standards that's right yeah Yeah. because he couldn't travel because that costs money and so instead he just consumed all this media Mm -hmm. super cool some tech companies including oculus by facebook recommend their new employees to read ready player one to introduce them to the virtual world as a reminder that we must not get lost in the virtual world yeah absolutely (laughs) the concept of easter eggs in video games came to ernest klein from a video game he played as a kid adventure 1979 in adventure 1979 the creator actually placed his name and encrypted his name into the format of the game because the company i think it was atari wouldn't let him actually put his name on it Mm -hmm. correct yeah so that he created the first easter egg and that was klein's kind of way of thinking like oh this is this is how i'm gonna do it and sent everyone else on their own hunt for his delorean and of course the book ready player one klein believes video games appeal to our innate human instincts as hunter gatherers this is stressed in the book as gunters and they are hunting down the easter egg while gathering other items to help them level up along the way i thought that was kind of cool There are a ton of references to pop culture in Ready Player One, including a few references to Spielberg movies and stories, including Back to the Future and a stab at the fourth Indiana Jones movie, which I thought was kind of funny. They're like, Crystal Skull sucked. Pretty cool that Spielberg actually ended up agreeing to direct the film version of Ready Player One. Even if it wasn't perfectly aligned with the book, I thought it was kind of cool that 
someone whose references made it into the book decided to create the movie. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Full yeah. circle. I, oh, a full circle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> spiel circle. <laughs> <laughs> the spiel circle. Fun facts about the film. So it was released March 11th of 2018, so about three years ago. I'm totally going to butcher this, but Kanita's bike from Akira is a favorite Easter egg from Ready Player One, which I believe is the bike that Artemis is using so, in the yeah. first race. The original bike features stickers of company logo, logos like Canon and Citizen, which obviously couldn't be used in Ready Player One. So they were switched out for stickers featuring Hello Kitty, Miss Pac-Man that Artemis actually references a couple times in the book, and the Atari, Sega, and JFA skateboard logos. There's also a Thundercats badge. Why not? Thundercats! Yeah, Thundercats! <laughs> A Billy Idol 7-inch can be seen on Halliday's desk in one of the memories Parsifal visits in the Halliday journals. If you've only read the books, they don't have Anorak's Almanac in the book, it is, or in the movie. It is the Halliday journals that you could virtually watch ha- uh, memories from Halliday's life. And honestly, it's so cool. I like it. Yeah. I think it's, it's really a, it, cool. I think it might be better than the than reading Anor- a book. Yeah, because yeah. you're just like, whoa, I can see <laughs> You can his see it. Own. And it was actually really cool to see Halliday brought to life. We'll get to it. I'm yeah, so excited. Yeah, we'll talk more about it. <laughs> it's Idol's Don't Stop EP featuring the song Moni Moni. Moni Moni. The EP was released in 1981 on Chrysalis Records. Other songs featured alongside Billy's cover version of Moni Moni are Baby Talk, Untouchables, and Dancing With Myself, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. If you look closely during the nightclub scene, you might glimpse three characters in the background that were actually designed by a certain Michaela George Spielberg. That is Steven Spielberg's daughter. One is a woman with a cat face wearing a corset who you can see during the drone selfie moment. Another is an acrobat wearing a metal mask and big puffy green trousers. And the third is an underwater princess. Interestingly, while most Street Fighter characters make an appearance in the film, Vega is missing. Why? Because it, she looked a little too much like the masked acrobat that Spielberg's daughter had designed. So That's cool. Yeah, I thought that was kind of fun that his daughter got in on it. So did you know, Dancing With Myself, if you remember in the book, that is the background music that Halliday has in his After He Dies story. Oh. Yes, yeah. in the in the uh his like virtual oh lake. what's the like virtual yes, lake, I guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah where yeah. he like descends out of it. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Oh, I totally forgot. Yeah. I totally missed that. Yeah. On the front of the IOI cars in the race sequences, there are, there kind are of QR codes on the hood. Exactly. These codes are scannable and actually lead somewhere. They'll take you to the Warner Brothers website. So it's kind of <laughs> cool. Yeah. That's funny. I love that it's that I like put in bonnet, but like I meant to say hood. Hood. <laughs> <laughs> cool. A total of around 570 characters were created for the film, of which up to 100 are original designs. And that's not including the vehicles and other digital creations embedded in the flick that were already created. Mm-hmm. Marty McFly's DeLorean from Back to the Future is Parsifal's car of choice in the Oasis, both in the book and in the movie. The front of the car has a neat reference to Michael Knight's artificially intelligent Pontiac Firebird Trans-M kit from 1980s TV series Knight Rider. The nice little customized touch featured is Kit's flashing red light. It's cool. (laughs) Thank you so much. The reference to Kira isn't the only... 
isn't the only dark crystal Easter egg in the film. In Ready Player One, Kira is the adopted name of Ogden Morrow's wife, taken from the name of the Gelfling from the 1982 fantasy film. Fans of the film should look closely when Sho fires the boomerang weapon at Iraq during the final battle, slicing off his arm and causing the coins to spill out. It's a, here we go. I'm so sorry in advance. Hakskika blade. That looks right to me. (laughs) Thank you. The four point dagger used by the Skeksis in Jim Henson's animatronic classic. So kind of cool. A little, little Easter eggs throughout. Did you ever watch the dark crystal? No, I didn't. It's creepy. Is it? Yeah. It's kind of cool though. It's like labyrinth. Oh, same idea. Okay. And they just made a new dark crystal. TV they show. Really? They did a TV show for it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that Skeksis out. Skeksis are scary. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no idea, but I saw it and I was like, okay, I think Frank will know about this. <laughs> <laughs> One extra cool th- thing to know about the film concerns the T-Rex that turns up in the race scene. Not only is it a nod to Jurassic Park, which was actually created using reference photos from the original T-Rex in Jurassic Park. Consequently... The film's designers initially created a T-Rex maquette brought to light for the film instead of a real dinosaur. So basically, the gamers in the Oasis are being chased not by the Jurassic Park dinosaur, but the model that played the original T-Rex in Jurassic Park. They even digitally recreated the holes in the plaster just like the way it was. So it was like meant to be... The little model instead of the... That's I don't know. crazy. I thought that was kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, it's like, let's get chased by an animatronic. That's like my nightmare. Let's not get yeah, chased yeah. by an animatronic. Let's like not. I'm just having like severe fear of the cosmic rays, dude. I don't even like just going like, on the ride, Jurassic Park, when that thing, <laughs> no, when the T-Rex don't. comes out. No, thank you. No, thank you. you. <laughs> Absolutely not. We're told that Halliday's favorite song is Video Kill the Radio Star by the Bugles. Is it the Bugles? I'm so bad at music. I would say Bugles. Yeah, yeah by the Bugles. The message of the film is that, as reverential as it is towards games, movies, and pop culture, a virtual universe is no substitute for the real world. The song draws attention to the march of progress and and technological advances and serves as a warning. Halliday feared his creation falling into the wrong hands and being used for nefarious or negative reasons, so it's apt that this would be his favorite song. His favorite music video is also significant, Aha's Take On Me, which if you've ever watched the music video, it's about a girl who's reading a comic and she ends up entering that animated world and she sees all this adventure that she's involved in that's sketched out before her. It kind of mirrors the events of Ready Player One in the nature of virtual reality kind of blending into reality. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. I didn't think that far into it. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I feel so... Awesome. Frank got these cute little uh, mysterious mystery packs with Ready Player One. They're like little figural key rings. Uh, He actually had already opened one when it first came out, correct? In 2018. Right, exactly. And he got Shoto. So we have a couple different options that we can get. IOI Officer or Sixer. We could get IROC. We could get Dido. Oopsies. Oh, my God. We could get the Iron Giant. We could get... That's H. H. Yeah. We could get Artemis. We could obviously get Parzival. And we could get Shoto. Which we already have. Yeah. So let's see what happens. Oh, and then we can also get 
Oh, they're all on the back. This is so much easier. <laughs> we could also get the jade key, an exclusive A, and exclusive B, which I would assume would be like copper. I think this is, yeah, copper and crystal key. That's my guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh, here we go. Okay. All right. Is there a thing to open this? Here we go. I got a cool one. You got a cool one. <gasps> Who'd you get? I got Irock. Oh <laughs> I got Daito. I've got brothers. them together, Daito oh, and Show. Wait, that's so cute. Oh yeah, that's right. Show in the movie, but and Shoto, Shoto in, in the, the book. book. They changed it for some reason. They, for some reason, although on it here says it says Shoto. Shoto yeah, so. that's his name, I think. That's fine. That's fine. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> why would you do that? But yay! Oh, I love that. Irock's the bad. Irock's a bad guy. Yes, <laughs> although in in the book he's more of a lovable. Dumbass. Yeah, he's not. He's not super smart. <laughs> he's just not very smart yet. Oh my gosh! What a cool. There's, we got I a pair. That. Wait, I love that you ended up with that too. Oh, that worked out. Show's got a ponytail. I love Show's ponytail. Uh, Show's like whole getup mm -hmm. in the movie was super cool. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, was super cool. Yeah. So moving on to favorite casting. This is where we talk about the cast and how we feel about it. Who we would have put in their place if we had the opportunity and all that fun stuff. So obviously we start with the main character, Parzival. He was played by Ty Sheridan. I wasn't expecting him to look like that. No, because in the book they describe him as being overweight with acne. Mm -hmm. um, and then we see a pretty fit, handsome young man. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Definitely I, not what I expected. Right, and he kind of reminded me of Ansel Elgort. I think that's his name, the guy in like The Fault in Our Stars. And oh, I've never seen that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. He, he was like super popular in like 2011, I'd say, when mm. that came out. And so I, I immediately saw him and I kind of couldn't get Ansel Uncle. I don't, I'm saying his name wrong. But um, get out of your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. You're right. I didn't think of Parzival as like this handsome man because he's described as average. Obviously, it's, you know, Hollywood, so yeah. we're going to make him pretty. But. Interesting. Um, you know, it's crazy. His avatar, I think, looked pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. I think Parzival looked pretty great. The only thing was that they made him, in the movie, his blue skin. Mm -hmm. But in the book, I read him as Caucasian. Yes. Like, no other color. But yes, yeah, but I, I still too, think yeah. it looked good, though. So Artemis, uh, played by Olivia Cook. I liked her a lot, but I did not imagine Artemis to look like that either. No, the description of Artemis... I guess her human form uh, was, I guess, was pretty spot on. But mm -hmm. I, I thought her uh, avatar looked. Yeah. See, like, I would have likened her avatar, avatar to Cara Dune mm -hmm. in The Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, I would have, it, it, just the way that she was described like, and the raven hair. I think that I really missed out on the raven hair yes, detail because they gave her red hair yeah which i liked <laughs> yeah. i mean you know but it kind of had a little shark boy and lava girl feel at times um, <laughs> <laughs> oops <laughs> oh my gosh so h it's funny because i listened to it so mm -hmm. the whole time i was like thinking the letter h and not spelled word, out yeah. a e c h which is funny because i probably wouldn't have read it that way mm -hmm. played by lena Waithe. first of all her i loved her yeah her human form <laughs> Spot Perfection. on. I think that this was exactly the right person to choose yes. to play 
human age. Exactly. I agree. Um, Of course, that's a little spoiler if you haven't read or seen the movie. Uh, Throughout the beginning of the movie and book, it is assumed that H is a Caucasian male in the book. In the movie, though, it's, it's pretty obvious early on that H is of color. But we don't really know H's gender until we meet her. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but it is assumed male. But yeah, she kind of looks like, her avatar looks like, what is his name? The rock kind of figurine oh, guy yeah. in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. The That's what I would t- like. Taika Waititi? Yeah, Taika right? Waititi's yeah. character in Guardians of the Galaxy. And like, that's the whole, t- the whole time I was thinking that with like a hole in the middle mm-hmm. and I think that they made a mistake in her avatar, though. I think so, too. Because in the book, the avatar is said to be a tall Caucasian male. Yep. And then in the movie, almost like a cyborg kind of looking. Yeah, because he doesn't have a stomach. Right. He just has, like, a hole. Yeah, and then there's poles in between. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I I think she was a great actress, though. I do, too. And you're right. The Cheshire grin was perfect. Mm -hmm. She had exactly that. Mm -hmm. Daito, also known as Toshiro Yoshiaki, was played by Win Morisaki. I thought Daito, I thought Daito and both show, and show. were perfect. Right. Um, yeah. I thought they, Agreed. I thought it was a really good choice. I did like that they made Show an eleven-year-old, or no, it's Daito that's the eleven-year-old. Daito's the older, and Shoujo's the younger. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, show Akihide uh, Karatsu was played by Philip Zhao. And I don't think they actually ever say his name in the movie. No, they don't say their real names. Because, exactly, because uh, he, Daito does always introduce himself. He's like, but I'm Toshiro. Like, yeah. it's so cute. <laughs> um, but they do kind of say that they're brothers. Whereas in the book, they've actually never met in real life and they met through a support group for people who couldn't tell the difference between virtual reality and reality. And they, they felt for each other like real-life brothers. Sorrento, I imagined. So I told you this. What would you imagine? I imagined him as... I don't know why, but I imagined him as this, like, Hispanic Latin Lothario, almost. I okay. don't know why. With the last name Sorrento, I right. think, could go Italian or Hispanic. True, true. And I think the movie went Italian. Yeah, you're right. You know? I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Nolan's... But, like, Nolan is his first name. Uh, played by Ben Mendelsohn. I think he did a great job. As, I do too. Like I hated him from the very You have to. The moment I saw him. You have to hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Halliday, Mark Rylance's performance as Halliday was honestly spot on. I yes. wasn't expecting yeah. it and I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. He's got the nice awkward mannerisms. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Og played by Simon Pegg. At mm-hmm. first I was a little weary when I saw that Og was played by Simon Pegg because I always think of him as funny. And comedic. But I liked him as Og. Yeah. I liked him as Og a lot. And I think he had a couple of funny yeah, he moments did. here and there. But yes, Og is well done. Yeah. I think that they all were really pretty, yeah, pretty good. I do. I think I think after watching it too, I think for this version of the story, I agree that they were all cast very well. Mm-hmm. Horror fans might also recognize a familiar face in the early scenes and then like a little bit later on as well. Mrs. Gilmore, who lives in the stacks beneath Wade, is none other than Hellraiser icon Claire Higgins. So that was kind of like a little Easter egg Mm -hmm. for horror movie people. She played Julia in both the original Hellraiser in 1987 and the sequel, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 in 1988. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I thought I might like include that really quick. 
So differences, the kind of big chunk of the podcast that we're going to be talking about most of this time. Uh, so there are some different, there are obviously some very big differences between the book and movie. Honestly, I think that this book and movie should be treated as two separate entities of a similar story or like two separate retellings. Right. It feels like I told the story, then you told the story, but we both weren't quite there. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I, I think it was well done. I think, obviously, I thought the book was really well done. I didn't expect myself to get as involved into it. I was texting Frank. I was like, H is a girl! <laughs> <laughs> you know, all this crazy stuff. <laughs> Here we go. Wade's school and personality development are completely left out in the movie. I don't know if it's necessarily needed for that for the movie retelling. Right. However, his lack of motivation in school, but his drive to learn so much and study so much about Halliday is very impressive and I think says a lot about passion. Right, because even in, in the book they talk about while he's in class, he watches Halliday videos or reads articles about him in the bottom of his screen where his teacher can't see. Exactly. Yeah. So he's just constantly seven days, 12 hours a day is a lot of study time. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Halliday's journals versus Anorak's almanac. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. I did like that. Yes. Especially in a, in a yeah. visual movie. So they could go in the movie, they could go and watch Halliday's memories, but Anorak's almanac in the book, they just had to read everything mm -hmm. so that was a little different and for people who don't know i guess we should say halliday is james halliday and mm -hmm. anorak is james halliday's avatar right so that's why we're going back and forth with a lot of names on right this. exactly yeah. yeah if things are ever confusing it's normally because we're referring to them as their real names and then their virtual names but yes thank you thank you for that yeah. that clarification the lack of broadcasting channels and how the gunters fund their hunts i don't i think that would have probably been boring in a movie yes but the Gunters had the ability in the books to broadcast their findings or broadcast about anything they wanted. And Art it's mentioned like casually in the movie that Artemis actually has a blog and she's a big blogger, super popular, very leveled up uh, gamer in comparison to Parzival. And it's kind of it's kind of cool to see a female video gamer being that. Yeah. Yeah. Like in in the influential. That reminds me, because in the books, Artemis is a pseudo-celebrity, <laughs> yes. you know, with, with her blogging and everything. And then in the movies, she kind of she kind of is too, but I wouldn't say to the level that it is in the books. But the same thing with H. In the books, H is an awesome celebrity. He is so good at every tournament he ever enters. But in the movie, H is just... Parzival's friend. Right. Who then they're both good at video games. Yeah, and yeah. and uh H is good at like repairing things. And I think I guess now that I think about it, maybe H's avatar is made so big and kind of in that stature and whatnot to show that he's good at competitiveness, mm -hmm. since they don't really talk about it in the mm -hmm. movie. And if someone's can confuse up pronouns with H. Oh yes. Um in the book they explain it that H's avatar is a man, so he wants to be called with the he, him pronouns mm -hmm. when he's his avatar. But in real life, she is a woman. So she wants she, her pronouns. Exactly. So yes. if anyone's confused by why we're using different pronouns for different times of the book or movie. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. 
I love that about the book too. Yes. Uh, normalizing pronouns and making that something that you can know, kind be of, fluid. Exactly. Yeah. Especially with someone who identifies in the virtual world as a man, as a in the book, she kind of talks about it as she identifies as a white man because her mom wasn't being listened to. And as a black woman, she wasn't getting as far as being a white man. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I, that's why we both kind of felt that, I, in my opinion, mm-hmm. for me at least, that uh, it would have made more sense to us that H would be a Caucasian avatar, would have a Caucasian avatar. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have time to explain it in the movie. No. <laughs> in the book, they uh, H is openly gay. Mm-hmm. She... Uh, and she goes through this really hard time with her mom who doesn't want to have a gay daughter. Yeah. Um, and in the movie, she they don't talk, they about, don't it talk about it at all. Yeah, and I understand that the movie can only be two hours or whatever it is, and uh, that backstory might not have been where they're going because they're really trying to focus on Wade. Mm-hmm. But that backstory of a lesbian black woman, I think, it's pretty powerful even yes. now because that movie did come out in 2018. So that is pretty recent. Um, and I, I personally, as a member of the LGBT community, would have liked to see more of them talking about yeah. uh, how hard it was for her, which she does go into in the book and it is pretty emotional for anyone who's ever felt out of place. If you read this section of the book that she's talking about, it, it's really emotional. Well, yeah. for me, it was. Yeah, no, yeah. it was moving for me as yeah. well. I know that you mentioned once or a couple times we talked about this, that the movie should have just been, if we were going to follow the book, it should have just been a trilogy. Yes. And each key Key. and gate should have been a different movie. Um, So we're going to jump into the copper key. The challenges are very, very different. Very different. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching the movie and I was like, I'm just, it's a different story altogether. It's not, it's not anything like the same, but I did appreciate the little Easter eggs in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like a joust came up a couple times, Mm -hmm. like on posters in Halliday's room and things like that. So in the movie, the copper, the challenge for the copper key is actually a race. And, uh, I kind of felt like it was Spielberg kind of showing off everything he did in his previous movies with, uh, you know, <laughs> Jurassic Park and King Kong, King and, Kong, yeah. <laughs> you know, Godzilla, just like, hey, what's up? Yeah. Or no, Godzilla's later. Um, but in the movie, it's win a key, you win the challenge. So there isn't a gate portion. Whereas in the book, it's a bit more old school. It's a bit more holidays style, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, where uh, you have a key and you have to complete the challenge for the key and then the challenge for the gate. Uh, so he must defeat a Sararak. Yes. The who... undead Lich King. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's super interesting. They He actually figures out the clue and figures out that being on Ludus. Yes. Why am I saying? <laughs> yeah. Being on Ludus, which is the school planet, Halliday wanted a student to kind of discover the first key. It's kind of cool that Halliday really wanted... Someone who is just a really motivated gamer like him to win. And so he ends up finding the crypt or the lost tomb, I believe it is. Yeah, it's the it's part of Dungeons and Dragons yes. that he finds, yeah. And then he goes in and he beats all the well, he really avoids every challenge that's in there because he's such a low level right. character and he really doesn't have any weapons. Then he goes in to find the undead Lich King, Asararak. Right. And he's ready for a battle. And then the Asararak says, you have to beat me in Joust. 
which is an old game if anyone's played it and uh it's like an old arcade game and i just it's think funny. it's so funny to think <laughs> yeah. of this like undead king like playing joust next to you know um parzival the avatar just like them playing each other i don't know that was a funny image yeah, in my head that i was that i missed in the movie of it yeah. <laughs> i missed all the challenges i liked them yeah. so much really well that's what like i it was kind of a slow start for me and then when we got to the challenges i was like oh i'm in this mm-hmm. like i you know and so for in the book parzival asks a sararak hey you know i'm a little rusty do you mind if we switch sides and a sararak is like Okay, sure. And so it, when he switches sides, that means that he's like flying on the, not the ostrich, because the ostrich was what. Yeah, there's like an Sarah ostrich and like a stork or something. The right? stork. Yeah. So if you're on the left, you're on the stork, I believe. And so he went ahead and that's how he beat a Sarah and got the copper key to, then he got a clue for the gate and he knew it immediately, but that's when he runs into Artemis her avatar and in that moment but we'll talk about meeting artemis Artemis later later, yeah and then the gate was basically it was it's kind of cool what the book does for challenges like this you had to be obsessed with the movies just as much as halliday was to the point that you knew that the avatar you whoever's trying to win halliday's easter egg knew every single line in a movie yes very impressive yeah super super interesting so very different from any kind of video game or anything i've seen i like right. that a lot they and call so- it the lip uh it's like lip syncing or lip cinema it's yes. where they uh you have to pretend that you are a character in the movie it's really cool and they do war games for the first uh for the first gate which is really awesome yeah super interesting so that was cool and so ultimately he ends up winning and uh, his name is on the map. On the scoreboard. It, on the scoreboard, yeah. I don't know why I said the map. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, my brain. Uh, so the Jade Key. In the movie, the Gunters have to do a recreation of The Shining. And it's not all the Gunters. It's just the high five that are in it. And... Can we talk about what a Gunter is? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even say that. Yeah. So a Gunter is an egg hunter. So it's a fun little play on on the word Easter egg hunter, Gunter. And it's just basically someone who is searching for Halliday's Easter egg. They're just as obsessed with Halliday as Parzival is. They're just obsessed. And it's all they have been doing for the past five years since Halliday posted his, video. what's it called? Yeah, yeah. his wake video. But... So the Gunters are people that they either clan up and they it's more all Gunters working together or they're individual. In the book, it's a lot more individualized, whereas in the movie, it is kind of more of a clan mindset. So in the movie, the Gunters are in a recreation of The Shining and they must save Halliday's love interest, Kira, who they don't really realize how important Kira is until this key at least in the movie and from a pack of the undead from Halliday's one of Halliday's favorite video games so uh they end up doing that it's great they get the jade key and I think it's Artemis who ultimately ends up with the jade key right right but they but they both I said they both end up getting it in the same instance exactly yeah yeah well actually all five of them are there at that time aren't they they are they are but they all she leaps Mm mm-hmm and then the other one, uh, as soon as she leaps, they're all kind of zoned out. Mm. And so, and actually, I think that's the thing too in the movie. 
only one person gets a key. I think. Remember after the first challenge, though, Artemis got it, and then he oh, gave H the right. clue. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. Never mind. I w- I stand corrected. I'm correct. So I guess they don't show everyone else getting the key, but we just have to assume they did. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yes, you're right. And then in the book, it required Gunters to complete a text adventure game called Zork to get the key, and then they had to unlock a Voight Kopf. Oh my gosh, why can't I speak? Voight Kopf machine from Blade Runner. And then they had to play a game of Black Tiger and then untwist some trivia from Rush to unlock the gate. Yes, the Black Tiger thing was super cool. Yeah. Because Black Tiger is a traditional old school 8-bit video game cabinet that you might find in any arcade. But in the book, uh, they get pulled into it and they play it like they're actually going through it. So I imagined it being very cool. Uh, I'd be really crazy because I know like, I like to play the old school Mario, and then when I played like Mario 3D World, that's so cool because you're running through the world that you just only were able to hop on top of before. So that's a, a cool thing that he had. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. That's not something that I appreciated as much. So I'm like, I love that you're like sharing that because yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that. That's super cool. So before we get into the crystal key, meeting Artemis, as we touched on a little bit earlier, was very different in the movie versus in the book. In the movie, they meet in the same place. Ish, so they meet around the same time. They're both trying to figure out how to get that copper key. But in the movie, they meet in avatar form surrounded by other competitors. Whereas, uh, and then in real life, they meet in H's warehouse basement. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. No, I don't. This is incorrect. In, meet, well, you're right in, in both these things. In the movie, they initially meet bef- in the first challenge right mm-hmm. before the race or right before the race takes off because she's on her motorcycle and he's in his delorean exactly. and then they all go back to hh's warehouse basement where all three of them hang out right so their meeting happens so fast mm-hmm. um whereas it takes a while in the book yeah for them to actually meet yeah because in the book they meet in the tomb of horrors and their connection is pretty instant they kind of have like a laughing playing uh kind of a sarcastic relationship making jokes at each other but Artemis is really smart and really intuitive about Parzival's want to go get that copper gate because he just got the copper key and he lies to her and says, oh, no, I didn't get it. And she's just like, oh, thank goodness I've been here for three weeks and then trying to figure out how to play Joust. And then out of nowhere, she realizes, puts two and two together that he found the copper key and she goes, I've been playing, I've been working on Joe's day and night for like five weeks yeah. now. And, and he's like, I thought you said three. And she's like, don't interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's just great. And it's great in the book because Artemis is that celebrity. So mm-hmm. when Parzival sees her, he's starstruck. Mm-hmm. But in the book, or in the movie, he's just like, oh. Oh, that's that's that girl, Artemis, right? Yeah, he, like he, he's like, I know who she is, but she's got the suit of celebrity. I feel like in the book, she's... She's big. Like big. She's a big deal, and, yeah. Yeah, he even like he even has a moment where he's like debating whether to keep talking to her or or not and just move on because he's like, I don't know when I'll get an opportunity to talk to the Artemis again. Mm-hmm. So kind of cool. And then the basement also has like a different look. Um H's basement has kind of a different look in the book versus the movie. In the book it's more eighties themed, whereas in the movie it's like a garage uh where H basically builds stuff. He builds stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, in the in the movie, they meet in real life halfway through 
basically after Wade's apartment in the stacks, his house that Alice lives in was blown up. There's a character brought in that's kind of like a henchman, not really, but like Artemis's part of Artemis's rebellion against IOI. And basically he comes in and kind of chloroforms Parzival and he wakes up and yeah, Yeah. she's there. And then he sees her birthmark, which is a lot smaller than what is described in the book. Right. In the book, it's like half of her face. Mm -hmm. In the book, he sees, Parzival sees a picture of Artemis before he meets her in real life. Mm -hmm. And before that, she's always about how ugly she is and everything. And she has a port of wine uh, birthmark on Mm -hmm. half of her face. So the book really describes it as being very big and the movie yes. just has it like she might have some red eyeliner on right, one exactly. eye <laughs> it it's like look... oh did you just like wake up and just take all that red just smudge it <laughs> smudge it all it over your out, face yeah. but yeah no so and then they actually don't meet in real life until the final chapter until after the final battle yeah until like everything has happened and it's just basically like he's already won and everything um, her backstory is also a little different in the movie versus the book. I I liked her movie backstory a lot. I, I thought did it too, was yeah. I thought it gave her like that um kind of drive that you don't see as much in the book. Mm-hmm. She's part of a secret resistance organization against innovative online industries, which we've been calling IOI, because they actually killed her father. Her father went through indentured servitude, which uh she goes through in the movie, different from the book. And uh, her father ends up dying. So it's a personal reason for her to take down Sorrento. And in the end, she does get to take down Sorrento. In the book, she wants to use her winnings to solve world hunger through the Oasis. She's also very good at video games and is very driven, if not more so than Wade. And in the movie, she kind of like lets Wade do – she's like, oh, yeah, Wade, you're going to win and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. Whereas in the book, she's just like – no, I want to win this. And right. she's very, very broken when the cataclysm kills her mm-hmm. because she was so close. She never, in the book, she never, ever wanted Wade to win. Yeah. That was, that's the crazy part is that they worked together, but the whole time she wanted to be the winner, mm-hmm. which I think is is good to see because yeah. the movie made her, uh, not a damsel in distress, but you know what I mean? like Almost like se- a second-class citizen to him. Yeah. Like, uh, almost subservient, right. I guess is the yeah. right word. Yeah. And then uh, in the book, she's like, I'm going to do it. And we're like, do it, Artemis. Yeah. But she doesn't. She's so, so. <laughs> empowering. I love that. That's something that I do miss about Artemis in the book. I rock in the movie. These are two different characters. Yeah, completely yeah. <laughs> different. We kind of went into it earlier when I opened up my little I rock thing. In the movie, he does odd jobs for IOI and for Nolan Sorrento. Um, Sorrento basically hires him as a bounty hunter for Wade, and he kind of goes around. And I think that in the movie, I rock's an adult. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the book, he's pretty harmless. Uh, He's just, he's kind of doing things because he wants fame. And he kind of like wants to be known as a good avatar. or Not a good avatar, but like a... Powerful. Powerful, that's the right word. And he's not... He's not very high level. H is higher level than him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he makes fun of Wade because Wade's level is so low. He calls yeah. him the, like a low level newbie. Yeah, and, he's yeah. very immature. Yeah. And he, in the book, he's basically, he's the reason. So Wade and H are, um, Parzival and H are able to keep their identities from the Oasis 
because as soon as people find out they're going to want to contact them in real life and be like, hey, like, how did you do this? How did you do that? Kind of, and obviously Iowa and the Sixers coming after them. Whereas in the book, IROC kind of lets it slip for some money that, hey, I know who, uh, and for some fame, he wanted yeah, to gain he some to fame know, as yeah. well. He's like, oh, I know who they are. They're students. They're from Ludus and uh, whatnot. So, or they, um, they kind of are on they Ludus. They go to school on Ludus. They go to school yeah. on Ludus. So, yeah. Aunt Alice in the movie is actually pretty present and she ha- seems to have more of a relationship with Wade than what's than related the in the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the movie, it's unfortunate because it seems like she keeps dating these low life awful people who are like for example the guy that she's dating during the movie is very abusive towards her emotionally i don't think i see him physically ever hit her but he physically hits and abuses wade Wade. and it's interesting to see i actually kind of liked seeing the difference in wade's character in that moment because wade comes off as this very confident avatar and in these moments when confronted with this his abuser he's it's it's kind of interesting to see his fear and kind right. of like but that's the book then yeah which is amazing because mm-hmm. they they said in the book remember he is not as present not as aware not as confident mm-hmm. and then in uh in but when he's parzival he's he's there he's, he's got there. it yeah yeah so I, I liked that they kind of created that relationship with alice and there's that really tragic moment when you know her trailer home explodes and he's trying to contact her Sorrento's backstory is actually manufactured in the movie. They We don't have one in the book. Sorrento is just this evil figurehead of IOI. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, he actually has this backstory that he used to work for Halliday and Morrow and was basically a glorified coffee fetcher. Jitter. Yeah. <laughs> fetcher. Jitter, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go oh. get the coffee. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't like the idea of the Oasis being free or at least... In the book, the Oasis was 25 cents. Yes. Um, to get the Oasis, it was accessible for everyone. That was Halliday and Morrow's point. And in the movie, I think it's accessible to everyone, but Sorrento wanted to monetize it. Mm-hmm. And there's that memory. It's kind of like how we see today with all of our Facebook ads yeah. and Instagram ads. Yep, we see a lot of ads. Yeah, we see you guys. <laughs> we see them. We're going to ignore them. We see them. <laughs> Halliday and Morrow's backstory is also a little, I, th- I, w- I want to say muddled. It's different. It's different from the book and the movie. Um, in the film, it mostly focuses on their adult years, their relationship with Kira, and how they went on, a, uh, how Halliday and Kira went on a date, uh, which we'll get into Kira a little more later. But, um, but then Og married her. But then Og married her, yeah. exactly. The book spans their entire lifetimes from the moment that they meet in middle school and they find this little entrepreneurial adventure together where they make these little floppy disks and they sell them for 25 cents. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how they get the start of Gregarious Gaming Industry, which is the name of their gaming industry that they end up creating. And the film lacks their mention of D&D, which ultimately brought them together, D&D Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I feel that the book kind of adds this layer of nostalgia uh, with all the different video games, Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. kind of bringing them together and not including that bit of nostalgia kind of did make it a little harder for me to watch as a reader, as a as 
if I had gone in this without reading the book, I think I would have appreciated right. it. Now, what's going off of that, what's crazy is that the book talks about how the 80s, the 80s, the 80s, the 80s, yep. you have to know everything about the 80s. And the movie is not that. It's glossed over completely. Yeah, the movie is, this is this is what's going on, and here we go. It's 2022 in the, in the movie or, or whatever it is, and that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of just a big focus on, uh, yeah. The, pop culture. The pop culture is just lacking, and the only time we really see the pop culture being fully immersed in there is Halliday's bedroom at the very end, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, that's the 80s. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Kira, in the movie, she's a big part of the challenge for the Jade Key, and she actually went on a date with Halliday. They went on a date, and Halliday talks about how Kira really wanted to dance, and he's like, but we watched a movie instead. And it's kind of cute because it's Halliday just obviously like telling the story and telling the facts as it mm-hmm. is. And he's just like, she wanted to dance, so we watched a movie. Like, it's just the cutest thing. <laughs> it is funny. You know, but like as Kira, she probably was just so like frustrated and like, I wanted to dance and this guy just wanted to watch a movie with me. <laughs> I guess our date's over. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. you know, and he thinks it's perfectly fine. It's just that kind of disconnect that's just so sweet and endearing about Holiday. And then she ends up with Og. We don't really understand how she ends up marrying Og. They don't really mention it, except for when Artemis is like, Kira, you mean Og's wife? So in the book, she actually affectionately named Halliday Anorak. So that is some backstory for those of you that have only seen the movie. He goes by Anorak because of Kira, which he went to use as a code for his sorcerer character. And he never actually made a move in the book but was very much in love with her she was their very first employee at gregarious games and like in the movie married morrow oh i also meant to say that uh artemis the avatar just reminds me of like the coffee girl that's like dinosaur guy and oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah. that's funny (laughs) i don't know i was like thinking that the whole entire time anyways Um, um but her name ultimately helps unlock the easter egg in the final challenge at the crystal gate uh which we'll talk about a little later but mm -hmm. dido and show toe are very (laughs) different in the book and movie in the film they're best friends and brothers that help in the last two challenges in the jade and crystal they're super sweet super endearing i love their relationship i like them a lot Mm -hmm. in the book it's really dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, IOI figures out Dido's real identity, and they murder him. They make it look like a suicide. It's very dark. They um, Later on in the book, Parcival, uh, Wade ends up seeing the video of them forcing him off, and it's, it's really sad. And, I mean, some parts of the movie do kind of allude to that moment but it never actually happens not with dido himself right. but with other characters forcing people to die kill people yeah. exactly this is used for motivation for all the gunters later in the book to fight the sixers and sorrento at the crystal gate that that part is pretty similar with the orb kind of covering the entire crystal gate and access to it mm-hmm. in the movie parsifal just says hey everyone Let's go. Let's like let's not let the Sixers yeah, win. Like they like, suck. We need to like, fight together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then in the movie, they call Shoto just show the whole time. Right. And in the book, his name is Shoto, 
But what we know from the book is that Daito and Shoto are two swords that samurais carry. Mm -hmm. And Daito is the longer sword and Shoto is the shorter sword. So I think it's a little strange that they would have shortened that name because it really means something in real life. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make sense to change it in my in our opinion i right. guess yeah. yeah i think shoto's a better name than show yeah me too <laughs> that's it <laughs> yeah so in uh shoto actually tries to take revenge on sorrento at the end for his friend's death since they are uh friends in real life and so he does take daito's death very uh hard yes thank you oh my god and he ends up giving it's kind of like a will it's willed over to wade the Ultraman power, yeah. right? Yeah, a weapon. The weapon to yeah. use against Sorrento at the end. The Loyalty Center and IOI Indentured Servitude, the whole concept itself is very similar in the movie and to the book. They're, yeah, same idea. Same idea. It's just a different person. Artemis in the film goes inside and kind of hacks the tech of the Sixers with help from Parsival, uh, with help from Wade. And she ultimately must fight as a sixer in the end herself. And so it's kind of cool that she is in the war room mm-hmm. and like fighting. Uh, when Sorrento realizes that, he's like, Artemis is in this room. He's He starts like looking for her and ultimately Wade shoots her avatar dead, which sucks. She loses all of her progress in doing that, but she stays alive in real life. Mm-hmm. In the book, when Sorrento attempts to murder Wade in real life, he goes into hiding as Bryce Lynch and builds that super cool apartment. Yeah. It's super high tech. I don't know. Do you want to go into more of it? Because you see, you were really excited about yeah, it when I got I, to that part. Well, I like the apartment. Um, honestly, it's just it's one room with his Oasis lounger that's in there. And the chair that he's in can lay completely flat to be his bed. It can move up to become a chair. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really his only furniture in there. But what he did, which I think was cool, was he made it so that uh, he had to run for 30 minutes every day in order to have it activate. So he actually lost weight by running on this this thing. Then he reinforced his apartment with uh, really good weaponry and Mm -hmm. walls and things. So when... Because he was planning something. He was he knew people were going to try to break in to get to him. Uh, so his little con- conniving mind yeah. put all these things together, which was really cool. He also has an air purifier in there. Yep. And then he put a locking, like a double locked door there. Right. So that they could, when he delivered his food, because he said that he only ate out every single day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Exactly. Um, he, they could put it there too. Especially because he started making so much money after being the first gunter to make it to the copper key. He was the first, and so he started kind of like doing ad campaigns and stuff that gave him so much money that he basically could live in this luxurious, very well-guarded, everything was thought of, Mm -hmm. just like super well-detailed in the book. That's because Wade's smart. Wade is (laughs) is so smart. smart. (laughs) I love it. He goes into hiding in his super techie apartment in Columbus, Ohio. After passing through the Jade Gate, he purposely goes into indentured servitude. So it's part of his plan. He goes into it, whereas Artemis does that. She kind of takes that humanitarian, well, she's kind of humanitarian in the movie, so mm-hmm. she takes that route. Whereas Wade does that himself and uses black market hardware to break into the server to break out of indentured servitude and then mess with IOI to ultimately destroy that orb that's over the crystal gate. This is so complicated, friends. You so have to read it. 
You have to read it. Agreed. It is, so, like, I probably just said all of that, and everyone's like, what did you just say? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is so complicated, but it's so intricately, and so, it, like, that should have made it into the movie. Yes. It was so, it felt like a uh, Jason Bourne, mm-hmm. like, moment. I loved it. And honestly, during that part, I had to have someone read it. I, I did really? the, I did the, uh. The audiobook, I, I should it. say. So, um, so if you're if you're like me and you got a little confused in that part, you can have Will Wheaton read it to you, and he's incredible. And he knew what he was talking about. He is incredible. Even like the way he, <laughs> it's funny because I'm literally thinking of his voice when yeah. I'm like thinking of different things. It's he he does it really well. The Crystal Key. Finally, this is the Finally. end. Finally, <laughs> I know we're making our way through. Actually, I think we're doing pretty good on. Yeah. Time. Um. So in the movie, the quest for the Crystal Key is pretty simple, and then finding the Easter egg is pretty simple as well. So the Sorrento, like in the book, in the movie, he finds the location of the Crystal Key and the Crystal Gate. It's pretty simple. Where uh, once they get into the into the Anorak's castle. Once they get in, they have to play the Atari Adventure 1979 game. But what happens in the movie is they are playing it, and they play to win. The Sixers are. The Sixers are, exactly, thank Mm -hmm. you. The Sixers are playing to win, and when they win, they end up falling through the ice uh, that's surrounding the castle. However, Wade knows that that's not Halliday's objective, Obviously, if you're going to play a video game, you want to play and kind of enjoy it. You don't play to win. You play to be in that world. And so he ultimately finds the Easter egg that way, finds the key, excuse me, he finds the crystal key that way and unlocks the gate. Now, it's kind of fun in the movie because he's in the back of H's van and like everything's going back and forth. And so everyone's like, just stick it in. Like all the Sixers that are helping Sorrento figure everything out are anxiously watching because like in the book you're able to watch the final key the final gate and so they're like why can't you just put the key in the thing (laughs) it's kind of funny so this is actually mentioned twice in the book adventure uh when ernest klein is basically and wade is basically describing adventure the first ever easter egg put in any video game was by the creator of adventure the first in Halliday's initial video rep- referencing the hunt and in the final task once Parsifal is through the third and final gate. In the book, IOI's Nolan Sorrento is the first one to decipher the clue for the crystal key and the clear sec- and to clear the uh, second gate. So the crystal key, the first thing they did was play through a game. I don't, I don't remember which one. Then they <laughs> did the movie. That's right. And then they... That's right, because uh, the movie was Monty Python. Yes. So the first one was oh, yeah. Tempest. Tempest, yeah. They the played through Tempest. Tempest. Then they had to do the lip sync of Monty, Monty Python, Python and the Holy Grail. And they're all watching it. And they're all watching it. Yeah, it, that's what's funny is that all of his friends, so, um, well, they're, well, uh, Shoto, H, and Artemis are all watching it and like, laughing along with mm-hmm. him, which is fun. And then after he completes that, then he goes and he has to type in or figure out what Halliday's password would be for his computer. And he's surrounded in an egg shape of all the computers from like an Apple one all the way up to an Oasis That's console. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot of computers. So the first one powers on and it says typing your password and he types in the wrong password. He's just thinking of things he might have typed in like 1980s, right? Like right. that was wrong. Um, and then eventually he kept going until finally he remembered um, 
Kira's avatar name. Right. And that's what he typed in, and that's how he won, was by typing in her, her name. And in the movie, after he wins, he goes in, and uh, Halliday's, or Anorak's there, so Halliday's avatar's there, and uh, and he's like, okay, can you sign this paper? Uh, and he's like, no, that's not what Halliday would do. And he's like, yeah, that was your final test. But in the book, there's none of that. There's no signing anything or anything like that. Uh, Halliday's just like, you won. Um, exactly, yep. So let me show you around. Let's see see what this is. And it's a very a very different private, I would say more um, more special moment, yeah, I feel like. it's very intimate. Yeah, and because in, in the movie, it's just everyone's watching and this funny thing happened with the paper and now we're yep. moving on. Instead of uh, almost the ceremony that says... You're now in charge of the Oasis. This is a big deal. Yes. And it's he, huge. And it's just funny because I think both the book and the movie, Halliday says, don't mess it up. Right. <laughs> Which right. is funny. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of touched on this a bit yeah. too. I appreciate like the book and the movie both took different kind of stances on it. The movie kind of took a friendship is the most important thing. And that's Halliday lost Og's friendship when he signed away his shares at gregarious games Mm -hmm. whereas in the book it's kind of like a love story his password ultimately was kira's avatar lafusia which ultimately kind of just shows that yeah love is like kind of the most important thing so i kind of like the different takes that both movie and book take because they're very different and Mm -hmm. obviously that shows in the very end which we're getting into um meeting in real life was obviously also very different in the film, they've all been in H's van for a little while, um, or at H's warehouse, or at the Rebellion Center that Artemis is part of. Artemis exposes herself as a sixer to Wade, but the rest of the challenge is pretty much the same at the very end. Mm-hmm. And so she exposes herself as a sixer. She kind of is in the DeLorean with him when she explains everything, and he's like, oh my god, you need to get out of there. Ultimately, that happens between them. In the book... Og has actually been uh, spying on the private chats in H's chat room, which is the kind of 1980s themed room, for a while and invites the high four now because of Dido's death to Oregon, where he lives, to use his high-tech gear to defeat the Sixers. H picks Wade up in her van, and we don't actually meet Shoto or Artemis until after they defeat the very last game after they clear that gate. Mm -hmm. So... And what I think is nice about after that, too, is in the book, you get this really nice, slow moment for Artemis and for Parzival instead of where the movie, you don't get that, really. One of my favorite parts about the book is at the end, Parzival's looking right at uh, right at Artemis, or her real name is Samantha, looking right at her. Yeah. And Samantha looks at Wade starting at the shoes and going very slowly up before she meets his eyes. So it's really to show that she really did want to see him, but, you know, how are you going to react? You're in love with this person that you've known for, for the better part of a year now doing this, and how quickly can I look at your real face that I've never seen before? I'm in love with your avatar, but I don't know how you look in real life. Yeah. You know? What it's, what it's, a crazy thing. It's it's kind of like a beautiful it's it's beautiful, honestly, is the best way to describe it because it just is like this super intimate moment between these people that have had intimate moments in a chat room for 
I guess this kind of takes place over a year, I believe, or like a little over a year, something like that. Yeah, yeah the book. Yeah. And um, so it, it's just kind of beautiful to see this kind of unraveling in a very delicate way. It's beautiful. I really liked it. Um, whereas in the movie, they meet when she kidnaps him. <laughs> yeah. And in the movie, I don't think it's that long. It feels almost like two weeks. Yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> from the, from the ob- obtaining the copper key to the hearing end. the crystal gate. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, kind of more on that, like, we do have the nightclub scene, but they just go to a random nightclub, and it's kind of like a date. Right. Whereas... I miss... Oh, man, I missed out, because in the mm-hmm. book, it's like DJ R2-D2 right? like, playing the I things. was so excited, because yeah. I saw that there was a nightclub scene, and I was like, oh, man, like, R2-D2 is going to be dropping some all uh, some cantina hits, it's going to be great, but, like, it's Og's birthday. Og invites... The high five specifically to his birthday party. And it's just this big event. And that's when Parzival shows up in his DeLorean that he's decked out mm-hmm. and everything. And they dance and he's like downloaded all these different dance tracks so he can dance perfectly with her. It's really cute. Very uh, just like a the romantic in me loves. It's so. what someone might do if they can't dance. Right. If, I could, <laughs> if I could download dance moves into my avatar... You would. Why Why not, right? right? Why not? And they do yeah. have the very Saturday Night Live disco dance yeah. that they do together. It's super cute. So that's kind of cool that they kept it. But I do wish that they had brought Og on. And ultimately, when the Sixers do invade the party, Og is just like, get out of my birthday party and like destroy gets them. rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, ultimately, I think both the book and the movie kind of touch on the fact that reality is the only real thing and that just be careful if you do have a virtual life that reality is the realest thing and i kind of liked that i thought it was i liked nice it message. too yeah and what's cool is at the end of the film they make an announcement that they don't make at the end of the book um they say that they are gonna have the oasis offline two days a week so that it would make people go outside and just actually experience nature which is yeah. pretty crazy um and, and experience and, each other. And in the book, um, you hear uh, Wade's like, I don't feel like I need to log on anytime soon. So it's it's really nice to see that. Uh, I feel like the film actually had more of a conclusion because the book's ending was them, was Samantha and Wade meeting and kind of like loving each other, which mm-hmm. is really sweet too. But then the film's ending was, this is what Wade's doing now that he's in charge of the Oasis. Yeah. But... There is a sequel book right. that I have not read yet. I haven't either. Um, so <laughs> we might see what happens in there. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned, guys. Yeah. But yeah, if anyone has read the second book, Ready Player Two. So our favorite scenes from both the book and or movie, if you have one. Uh, for me, I loved Parzival. Going back before the crystal key, everyone's like, you have to focus on the crystal gate, the crystal key and everything. But I loved him going back and just destroying Sorrento before entering the third gate. I thought that <laughs> in was... In the book. Yes, in <laughs> yeah. the book. Exactly. It doesn't happen in the movie. It's Artemis in the movie. But uh, it's just so fun to see him just be like, you killed Dido and you did this and you just suck and you obviously are not a gamer. You are just doing this for the money. 
And it, it was just cool. Um, I'm also a huge hopeless romantic, and I loved the ending between Wade and Samantha that we just <laughs> talked about. It was really sweet for a video game game themed book to have that kind of relationship to love. I, I loved that. I didn't expect it, and it it brought me into the story even more. Yeah. How about you, Frank? Uh, I really liked when in the book when Wade is in, in indentured servitude, when he is representing IOI because he has to work there for his indentured servitude, and he's saying really mean things to the people who are calling <laughs> yeah. in to to help out because he doesn't care what's happening with the company. And if the company gets lower ratings or lower approval ratings, he doesn't care. It actually works in his advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was really funny that he infiltrated them just to be like a bad employee. I thought yeah. that was funny. And I, and I really enjoyed it because sometimes I want to say stuff, but right. I don't because I value my employer. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh man, I love that. Do you have a favorite scene in the movie or anything like that? Or that's just your favorite? Um, well, in the movie, I liked... It doesn't happen in the book, but I liked that um, H was building the Iron Giant. Like, the Iron Giant's not right. part of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Iron Giant is... So, in the book, you can choose one giant robot, and the Iron Giant was a robot you could choose, but that it's, it's really inconsequential. It's, right. it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. they. Uh, that was something we sh- didn't mention earlier, but after the Jade Gate was passed, you had the ability to pick between a bunch of giant robots and that's kind of what fought Sorrento at the end when he becomes Mecha Godzilla. And then I think my favorite scene in the movie was probably just like that end scene with Halliday and that kind of moment where is he alive still? You know, you mm-hmm. kind of aren't sure if he's still alive or not. And it only I mean it kind of happens in the book a little bit as well, but in the movie it's just like his mini version of himself and him just leaving and mm-hmm showing all these different things. So I kind of liked that. I liked that take. Yeah. In the book, they call it His Ghost in the Machine. Yes. Which yeah, I thought was a, a cool right. way to say it. Mm-hmm. So, Frank, book or blockbuster? I really liked the book a lot more. That's really what got me into being a fan of Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the blockbuster is such a different story and so visually appealing that... Um, I would say if you are not going to read the book, you should watch the movie yeah. for sure. Because it's a similar storyline and it's a similar end, a means to an end. So I, I agree. I love yeah. that. Perfect. So thank you guys for listening. If you have any future books or series or anything that you want me to cover, uh, let me know in the comments on my Instagram uh, at Buddies Books and Blockbusters all together, no spaces, or anything like that. I'd also like to thank CourseHero.com, Fandom.com, and IndieWire for their big help while researching the book and movie to kind of create the outline for this podcast. And a huge thank you to Ernest Klein for his incredible and amazing attention to detail and commitment to making the video gaming world comprehensive for someone who has literally zero knowledge of it like me. So... Super cool. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Ernest Klein. And a very special thank you, Frank, for joining me. You're welcome. Making things like comprehensible and kind of reading my thoughts. So thank you. It's a great book. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, toodaloo, everyone. Bye. And happy reading, watching, and listening.